St. Stephen's Cathedral Welcome to St. Stephen's Cathedral. This massive church with its 450-foot steeple is the Gothic needle around which Vienna spins. It survived many wars and today symbolizes the city's irrepressible spirit. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Thanks for joining me on a visit to St. Stephen's Cathedral, known to the Viennese as Stephen's Dome. We'll see it both outside and in. First, the soaring exterior, with its massive tower and colorful tile roof. Then inside, there's the vaulted nave studded with statues. We'll gaze into the eyes of a remarkably lifelike self-portrait. We'll see the chapel where Mozart was married, plus an eclectic assortment of tombs, altars, and icons from the Habsburg's mighty empire. Oh yes, and a cannonball lodged in the wall. Allow 45 minutes for this visit. The church is free to enter for a quick view from the doorway, but to see all the sights inside, you'll need to pay admission. According to the church's medieval creators, St. Stephen stands like a giant jeweled reliquary, praising God. Today, the church and its tower have become Vienna's most iconic image. To help us along the way, I've invited a good friend and virtual travel buddy. Welcome, Lisa. Guten Tag, Herr Steves. Lisa will give us helpful directions and sightseeing tips throughout the tour. And my first tip is to be sure you get our tour updates. Just press the icon at the lower right of your device. You'll find any updates and helpful instructions unique to this tour. Things like closures, opening hours, and reservation requirements. There's also tips on how to use this audio tour and even the full printed script. Yes, so pause for just a moment right now to review our updates and special tips. It's okay, we'll wait. And then, let the tour begin. The tour begins. The Cathedral Exterior. Begin at Stephensplatz, the square outside the church. We'll start along the right-hand side of St. Stephen's, that is, the south side. Find a spot where you can take in the sheer magnitude of this massive church with its skyscraping spire. St. Stephen's is a marvel of medieval architecture. The towers and prickly steeples, pointed arches, gargoyles, statues, and the colorful mosaic tile roof. For 1,500 years, this spot has been the center of Vienna's Christian faith. The church we see today is the third to occupy this space. After a fire burned the previous church around 1250, today's entrance facade was built. Over the next two and a half centuries, they extended the nave and added towers at the end of each transept. St. Stephen's covers almost an acre of land. That was a huge church for a small medieval town of 10,000. But Vienna's founder, the Habsburg Duke Rudolf IV, wanted to put his hometown on the map. In 1340, he bankrolled new construction. St. Stephen's was to be bigger than even St. Vitus Cathedral in Prague. A century later, the new church was so grand, it helped convince the authorities that Vienna deserved a bishop. So the church became a cathedral. Politically, Vienna soon replaced Prague as the capital of the Holy Roman Empire. The impressive South Tower is 450 feet tall and capped with a golden orb and cross. It took two generations to build, about 65 years, and was finished in 1433. No church spire in the empire would ever be taller. 
by Habsburg decree. The tower is a rarity among medieval churches in that it was actually completed as planned. Many church towers, like St. Stephen's North Tower, remained unfinished by the time the Gothic style petered out. With its 360-degree view, the South Tower was once key to the city's defense, functioning as a lookout point. These days, it offers a great view to tourists. But you'll earn it. It's 343 tightly wound steps up a spiral staircase. Lisa, they tell me that hike burns about one soccer tort worth of calories. Oh, good. I'll need to see it twice. Once on top, you can look down on the church's colorful roof. You can see Vienna's low-level skyline, how major skyscrapers are exiled to the outskirts. And in the distance, to the southwest, the green hills of the Vienna woods mark the start of the Alps. For more than half a millennium, St. Stephen's has been the heart and soul of Vienna. Check your pockets for ten-cent coins. You'll see that Austria's picked the South Tower as their icon. Even today, the Viennese have an affectionate nickname for the tower. They call it Steffel, or Little Stevie. Now let's look closer at the church. The colorful roof is sharply pitched and stands 200 feet tall. It's covered in 230,000 ceramic tiles. The zigzag pattern here on the south side is purely decorative with no special symbolism. Now, find the middle buttress. Look above the low green roof and find the buttress marked with the date 1683. Look closer. Hmm, I don't see it. No, closer, even closer. Do you see it? What's that stuck in the buttress? It's a cannonball. That's right, it's a remnant of when the Ottoman Turks laid siege to the city in 1683. The church has weathered other wars as well. You'll notice that the North Tower, on the other side of the church, is only half the size of Little Steffel. It was meant to be just as big as the South Tower with a matching steeple. But in 1511, the Ottomans were approaching the city. Construction funds had to be diverted to the Defense Department, and the tower was never finished. Even in modern times, the church has suffered from war. In fact, you may see some old black-and-white photos posted on the side of the church or on the square, which show how badly the cathedral was damaged in World War II. In 1945, the war was reaching its endgame, and Vienna was caught in the chaos between the occupying Nazis and the approaching Soviets. Allied bombers tried to drive the Nazis out. Buildings near the church caught fire. The embers jumped to the cathedral. The wooden roof, which had survived from Gothic times, caught fire. The cathedral's huge bell crashed to the ground, and the fire raged for two days. The photos show how, while the wooden outer roof burned, the stone ceiling survived, dusted by cinders. By the war's end, Vienna was a mess, bombed out and poverty-stricken. But one of Vienna's first priorities was rebuilding their beloved St. Stephen's Cathedral. Those who donated got to own one of the tiles. By 1952, the new roof was built, in the old style, restoring the church once again to its medieval glory. Start circling the church counterclockwise. Walk slowly while Rick describes a few points of interest. Circling the Exterior First off, the little buildings lining the church exterior are sacristies. That is, utility buildings for the running of the church. Next, notice the entrance to the South Tower. If you're up for paying admission and climbing those 343 stairs to the top, you could do it now. But it's better to wait until the end of this tour. Now, 
Look up high above. The colorful roof tiles here show the double-headed Habsburg eagle. He looks both east and west, overseeing the vast Habsburg empire. The initials F1 are for Emperor Franz I, and the date, 1831, is when the roof was installed. As you continue walking around the backside of the church, look along the church wall. The carved reliefs, memorials, and tombstones are a reminder that the area around the church was a graveyard until 1780. Once you are directly behind the church, continue walking to the far corner where you'll see the cathedral bookstore. On your way to the corner of the square, enjoy a little music by a Vienna favorite, Mozart. Sehr schön. Now, here at the bookstore, notice the sign Dombuchhandlung. Like with so many German compound words, it's easy to figure out what shop this is. I already did. I looked through the window. Dom means cathedral. Buch means book. Handlung is an activity. Dombuchhandlung, cathedral bookstore. Well, danke schön for that information, Herr Besserwisser. Besserwisser? Let's see, besser is better. Visser, knowing. Oh, Mr. Know-it-all. Well, yeah, thanks, Lisa. In fact, you are correct. Ich bin ein besser Visser. Pause in front of the bookshop. The Dombuchhandlung. Mm-hmm. From here, you have a fine, wide view of the unfinished North Tower and the apse of the church. From this vantage point, notice the exoskeletal fundamentals of Gothic architecture. The buttresses lining the walls shore up a very heavy roof. This allowed for large windows that could be filled with stained glass to bathe the interior in colorful light. A veritable battalion of storm-drained gargoyles stand ready to vomit water in rainstorms. The colorful roof tiles show not the two-headed single eagle of Habsburg times, as on the other side, but two distinct eagles from 1950. They represent the state of Austria on the left, and the city of Vienna. Just above street level, notice the marble pulpit under the golden starburst. This is for huge public gatherings. The priest would stand here stoking public opinion against the Ottomans to crowds far bigger than could fit into the church. Above the pulpit, in a scene from around 1700, a saint stands victoriously atop a vanquished Turk. To your right is the Cathedral Museum, its collection of religious objects is, frankly, pricey and skippable. Continue circling the church, passing a line of horse carriages waiting to take tourists for a ride. These traditional two-horse buggies are called fiakers. 
A 20-minute narrated clip-clop around the old center costs about 50 euros. You can split the cost with up to five others. Notice the stonemason's hut. It's the blocky, modern-looking building huddled next to the side of the cathedral. There's always been a stonemason here. Keeping the fine stonework in good repair is a never-ending task. Even today, it's done in the traditional way. Notice how dirty the church gets. This local limestone is quite porous and absorbs modern pollution. Until the 1960s, Stephensplatz was a very busy traffic circle. In winter, acidic rainwater soaks into the surface and then freezes. The stone corrodes and must be repaired. Your church entry ticket helps fund this ongoing work. Across the street, just past the horse carriages, is the Archbishop's Palace. It's where the head of this church still lives today. From here, we keep strolling around the church, eventually circling all the way back to the front. The North Tower is 223 feet tall, half the size of Little Stevie. The tower was begun in 1450 under Emperor Frederick III. More on him later. As you recall, it was left unfinished in 1511 due to the Ottoman invasions. An elevator inside the church takes visitors to the top of this tower for a fine view of the city and a peek at its big bell. The bell, nicknamed the Boomer or Pumerin, is huge, nearly 10 feet across, weighing 21 tons. By comparison, our Liberty Bell is 4 feet across and weighs only 1 ton. The Boomer is supposedly the second biggest bell in the world that rings by swinging. It stands as a physical symbol of victory over the Ottomans in 1683. It was cast in 1711 from cannons and cannonballs captured when Vienna was liberated. During World War II, when the church caught fire, the Pumerin fell to the ground and cracked. It had to be melted down and recast. These days, locals know the Pumerin as the bell that rings in the Austrian New Year. And around the corner is the cathedral's front door. Find a spot far enough back where you can take in the entire west facade, the main entrance. The main entrance. This is the oldest part of the church, from around the year 1250. It retains part of a church that stood here earlier but was destroyed by fire. Before Vienna was Christian, there was a pagan Roman temple on this spot. The Roman fortress Vindabona stood roughly where the glassy modern building stands today. The church facade pays homage to that ancient heritage. Roman era statues are embedded in the facade. The two octagonal towers flanking the main doorway are dubbed the Heathen Towers. They're built with a few recycled Roman stones. The Christians made sure they flipped the stones over to hide the pagan inscriptions. While the rest of the church is in the Gothic style, This older west facade is Romanesque, that is, imitating the grandeur and style of ancient Rome. Study the details. Above the doorway, Christ looks down triumphant over death. Flanked by angels with dramatic wings, he welcomes all. Ornate tree-like pillars support a canopy of foliage and creatures. All this intricate symbolism was rich in meaning to the faithful medieval worshiper. The fine carving above the door was originally painted in bright colors. In the 19th century, the paint was scrubbed off when pure stone was more in vogue. Now move in closer. To the right of the doorway, find some letters carved in the wall. It's about chest high, behind the plexiglass, under the first plaque. It says O5. 
This dates from the 1940s when Austria was under Nazi rule. Here's the story. When the Nazis annexed Austria in 1938, they refused to call the country by its true name, Oesterreich. They insisted on the Nazi term, Ostmark. Austrian patriots wanted to keep the true name alive. So they secretly carved O5 as a code to their fellow countrymen. The O stands for Oesterreich. The 5 stands for the fifth letter of the alphabet, E. When an E follows the O, it works like an umlaut, giving the O its correct pronunciation, Oersterreich. Enter the church. Remember, you can step inside the church for free. And walk up most of its left aisle, also for free. But to see all the sights, there's a charge. Go in. Let your eyes adjust while Rick points out some sights near the entryway. Start by taking in the impressive nave. The Church Interior. Sights in the Entryway. Peer through the gate down the immense nave. It's more than a football field long and nine stories tall. The nave is lined with clusters of slender pillars that soar upward. These support the ribbed crisscross arches of the ceiling. Stylistically, the nave is Gothic, with a Baroque overlay. It's a spacious, glorious venue that's often used for high-profile concerts. If you're interested, the concert ticket office is just outside the church. To the right, as you face the nave, is a gold and silver frame like a sunburst. It holds a crude image of Mary holding baby Jesus. It's the Maria Poch icon. This once stood in a humble Hungarian village church. Then, in 1697, Central Europe was being threatened by the Muslim Turks. The picture of Mary is said to have wept real tears. Fortunately, Vienna's own Prince Eugene saved the day at the stunning Battle of Zenta in modern-day Serbia. The icon was brought to St. Stephen's in triumph. These days, Maria Poch is still popular. You may see crowds of pilgrims leaving flowers or lighting candles around the icon. They're most likely Hungarians, thanking the Virgin for helping Prince Eugene save their homeland. Others pray to Maria Poch to help in their daily lives. During the years of Soviet repression in Eastern Europe, the icon became a rallying point for the Greek Catholic Church. These are Catholics from Eastern Europe who followed the Pope in Rome, but share some Greek Orthodox traditions. The Byzantine-style Maria Poch seemed to comfort those oppressed worshippers, and they're grateful to this day. Now look up over the church entrance at the choir loft. The 10,000-pipe organ, which dates from 1960, is one of Europe's biggest, but it's currently broken and sits unused. It's too big to remove, and some think it's become a necessary part of the structural support to the actual building. So it just sits there. Let's head for the left side of the nave. Near the back of the church is a gift shop. There's always a gift shop. Yep, but this one's well worth a quick look. Step inside and check out the 14th century statuary decorating its wall, some of the finest carvings in the church. Pretty impressive. Now, step back into the church and find the gated entrance to a chapel. It honors a man who made a big mark on Vienna. It's the chapel of Prince Eugene of Savoy. Prince Eugene was a teenage seminary student from France. He arrived in Vienna in 1683, just as the city was about to be overrun by the Ottoman Turks. 
He volunteered for the army and helped save the city. This launched a brilliant career as perhaps the greatest military leader in Habsburg history. It made him rich and famous. Eugene built the Belvedere Palace, now a museum with great city views and great art. When Eugene died, the grateful Austrians buried him here, under this chapel, marked by a tomb hatch in the floor. Nearby is the entrance to the main nave. To continue this tour, you'll need to buy a ticket. If you don't pay the entrance fee, you can try looking on from the free parts of the church, but you really can't see what I'll be describing. Pause the audio guide while you pay admission. We'll meet you in the nave. The Nave and Its Statues Find a spot where you can look straight down the nave. Notice all the statues on the columns. They stand about 30 to 40 feet above the ground. St. Stephen's is richly populated with 77 life-size stone statues. Together, they make a saintly parade leading to the high altar. Check out the first pillar on the right. On the side facing the wall is the Madonna with the protective mantle. She's shown using her cloak to give refuge to grateful people of all walks of life. On that same pillar, find Moses with the Ten Commandments. As you explore the church, you'll find other beautifully carved saints on the pillars. There are more Madonnas. There's St. George killing the dragon. Francis of Assisi wears his distinctive robe. And St. Sebastian's easy to recognize. He's the martyr riddled with arrows. For now, turn your attention to ground level. Start down the nave toward the altar. At the second pillar on the left is the carved pulpit. The Pulpit This marvelous pulpit, carved of sandstone around the year 1500, stands on the cusp of the Gothic and Renaissance worlds. It's a masterpiece carved from three separate blocks. See if you can find the seams. A spiral stairway winds up to the lectern. It's surrounded and supported by the four church fathers. These were early Christian thinkers whose writings influenced church dogma. Each has a very different and very human facial expression. Identify them from back to front. Ambrose is a daydreamer. Jerome, a skeptic. Gregory is a teacher, while Augustine is a listener. Take your time here. The pulpit is as crammed with religious meaning as it is with beautifully realistic carvings. At the top of the stairway, the railing swarms with lizards, symbols of light. The toads are animals of darkness. At the top stands the dog of the Lord, making sure none of those toads pollute the sermon. Below the toads, there are wheels with three parts, symbolizing the Trinity. These roll up to meet the Trinity in heaven. Other wheels roll down to earth. The downhill wheels have four spokes, the four seasons, the four cardinal directions. They symbolize mortal life. Now find the guy peeking out from under the stairs. He leans out from a window, sculptor's compass in hand, to observe the world and his work. This may be a self-portrait of the sculptor. In medieval times, art was done for the glory of God, and artists worked anonymously. 
but this pulpit was carved just as humanist Renaissance ideals were creeping in from Italy. Individual artists were becoming famous, so this may be the artist. For years, it was thought the sculptor was the Hungarian mason Anton Pilgrim. But now many scholars believe it's the Dutch sculptor, Nicolaes Gerhard van Leyden. Whoever it is, both men worked extensively on the cathedral. There's another similar self-portrait nearby. It's a few steps further ahead, past the next column, on the left wall of the church. You can see it through the fence. He holds a compass and L-square, like an architect. This sculpted bust may be of Pilgrim or Gerhardt. It's carved in wood and painted. Symbolically, the man shoulders the heavy burden of being a master builder in this amazing place. Continue up the nave, enjoying the fine statues on the pillars. You'll reach a gate in the center of the church. Turn right and enter the south transept. Go all the way to the doors. Then look left to find a chapel. It's marked with a plaque about Mozart. Mozart in St. Stephen's The plaque explains that Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and Costanza Weber were married here in St. Stephen's. Mozart's life in Vienna was inextricably linked with this church. He was married here, attended Mass here, and baptized two of his children right here. You can see the baptismal font in the adjacent chapel. It's a fine piece from around 1500 with a stone bottom and matching carved wood top. Mozart was born in Salzburg in 1756. As a child prodigy, he toured Europe and became famous. Eight-year-old Wolfi even performed for Empress Maria Theresa and her family at the Habsburg Palace here in Vienna. At 25, he had a falling out with his domineering father and left Salzburg in a huff. He settled in Vienna, which was fast becoming Europe's music capital. Here he found fame as a concert pianist and freelance composer. While in Vienna, he wrote The Marriage of Figaro, Don Giovanni, and The Magic Flute. He and Costanza bought a lavish apartment a block east of the church. It's now the lackluster Mozart House Museum, which I find disappointing. They lived at the epicenter of Viennese society among musicians, actors, and aristocrats. Mozart played in a string quartet with Joseph Haydn, at church, he would have heard the organ played by Beethoven's teacher. Mozart may have even met young Beethoven himself. Or maybe not. Accounts vary. After his early success, Mozart fell on hard times, and the couple had to move to the suburbs. When Mozart died, only 35 years old, his remains were dumped in a mass grave outside of town. But he was honored with a funeral service here in St. Stephen's. It was held in the Prince Eugene of Savoy Chapel, where they played his famous but unfinished 
Requiem. That's the Requiem you're listening to right now. south transept and turn right. Uh, excuse me, Lisa. Besser Visser here. Oh, boy. You again? Before you leave the south transept altogether, pause at the right-hand column near the entrance to the south transept. Find the fine carved statue from 1330. It depicts the Madonna of the Servants. This remains a favorite of people like housekeepers who clean your hotel room. And hard-working narrators. As you leave the south transept, Turn right and walk down the right aisle. Up ahead, dominating the chapel at the front right corner of the church, is a large marble tomb. The Tomb of Frederick III This imposing red marble coffin is like a big king-size bed, with Frederick lying on top. He's surrounded by many coats of arms, representing his many territories. The tomb was likely designed by Nicolaus Gerhardt van Leyden, the man who may have done the pulpit. Frederick III lived from 1415 to 1493. He's often considered the father of Vienna for turning the small village into a royal town with a cosmopolitan feel. Frederick secured a bishopric, turning the newly completed St. Stephen's Church into a cathedral. He was the father of Maximilian I, whom he married off to Mary of Burgundy. Their combined lands instantly made the Habsburg Empire a major player in European politics. The lavish tomb, made of marble from Salzburg, has proved as durable as Frederick's legacy. When the precious tomb was threatened by bombs during World War II, locals encased it in a protective shell of brick. Walk to the middle of the church and face the main altar with its towering altarpiece. The High Altar The tall, ornate, black marble altarpiece barely fits under the towering vaults of the ceiling. It was built in 1641 by Tobias and Johann Pock. At the top stands a statue of Mary. The large painting painted on copper, depicts the namesake of the church, St. Stephen. Stephen is at the bottom. Having refused to stop professing his faith, he's pelted with rocks by an angry mob. As he kneels, ready to die, he gazes up. He's rewarded with a vision of Christ, the cross, and the angels of heaven. The stained glass behind the painting, some of the oldest in the church, creates a kaleidoscopic jeweled backdrop. To the left of the main altar is a painted altarpiece. The Wiener Neustadter Altar This altarpiece is a brilliant example of high Gothic art. Take some time to appreciate the intricate carving of this richly painted and gilded masterpiece. It's a triptych, meaning it has three panels supported by hinges, so it can be opened and closed according to the church calendar. It was commissioned by Frederick III in 1447, adding yet another treasure to this great cathedral, which became a kind of archive of Austrian history. Our last stop is about 30 steps away. 
Head for the center of the church. Where we'll finish our tour. Return to the central nave and turn right. From here, look back down the church and marvel at the beauty of the Gothic architecture. Then walk back up the nave toward the gate to the third column. When you reach the gate, look immediately to the right. Find the third column with the gate attached. On that column, about ten feet above the ground, is a plaque. The Plaque of Rebuilding St. Stephen's is proud to be Austria's national church. The plaque celebrates St. Stephen's ongoing legacy. It explains in German how the church was rebuilt after World War II. Each region of Austria is mentioned. Read along. Die Glocke, the bell, was financed by the state of Upper Austria. Das Tor, the entrance portal, was from Steiermark. The windows were from Tyrol. The pews from Vorarlberg. The floor from Lower Austria, and so on. During World War II, many of the city's top art treasures were stowed safely in cellars and salt mines. They were hidden by both the Nazi occupiers to protect against war damage and by citizens to protect against Nazi looters. Here at St. Stephen's, the stained glass windows behind the high altar were meticulously dismantled and packed away. The precious pulpit was encased in a shell of brick. The Maria Poch icon was stashed in the basement. As the war was drawing to a close, it appeared St. Stephen's would escape major damage. But as the Nazis were fleeing, the bitter Nazi commander in charge of the city ordered that the church be destroyed. Fortunately, his underlings disobeyed. Unfortunately, the church caught fire during Allied bombing. The wooden roof collapsed onto the stone vaults of the ceiling. Most of the clear glass windows of the nave were destroyed. They were replaced in the 1950s by the Tupperware-colored glass you see today. But thankfully, the church survived, largely intact. The people of Vienna opened their wallets to rebuild their church to its former glory. Through wars and time, the church remains a symbol of Vienna and its proud people. Standing here at the center of this magnificent church, you're also at the very center of Vienna. We hope you've enjoyed this tour of St. Stephen's Cathedral. Thanks to Jean Openshaw, the co-author of this tour. If you're up for more sightseeing, we have other Vienna audio guides. The Vienna City Walk starts just a few blocks away at the Opera House. The Ringstrasse Tram Tour also starts from there. Remember, this tour was excerpted from the Rick Steves Vienna Guidebook. For more details on eating, sleeping, and sightseeing in Vienna, refer to the most recent edition of that guidebook. For more free audio tours and podcasts, and for information about our guidebooks, TV shows, bus tours, and travel gear, visit our website at ricksteves.com. This tour was produced by Cedar House Audio Productions. Thanks. Auf Wiedersehen. And goodbye for now.